0: Secrets of a Dance Hit with Ridney. Welcome, friends. Season two of Secrets of a Dance here. My name is Ridney. Seven new guests for you. And yeah, hopefully we can bring some more shows. I've set up a little Patreon, patreon.com slash Ridney. If you're happy to throw a couple of coins into the box, it helps keep the podcast running. Yes, seven new guests. And we kickstart with the first one. An absolute banger. It was an instrumental first and then became a vocal mashup. This is Mason with Exceder secrets of a dance hit with Ridney. okay so this week i'd like to welcome to the show the dutch house legend that is mason how are you doing sir I'm very good. Melting here, but good. Yeah, same. Uh, what's the temperature at the moment over where you are? Is it as bad as here in the UK?
1: Yeah, it is. And inside, I'm, I'm in this airtight studio with equipment that also heats up. Yeah. So, well, get in.
0: Super hot, super hot. Now, with um, the podcast that I've been doing, one of the records that's come up a few times to be requested is your track, Exceder. Now, as I remember it personally, I remember um, now... I'm thinking 2006, 2007, there was a record just blowing up across the UK, which was uh, the instrumental that was Exceder.
1: How did it start for you as a track? Yeah, I think, well, the context was that, that we were doing these electro events in the Netherlands. We were this sort of group of people. We were organizing events everywhere. So... This whole electro sound started in 2004. We were kind of the, the the main sort of parties for that. So we were sort of really into this sounds and there were different sides of it. You had the more darker type of electro from, let's say, Miss Kitten and the Hacker and uh, those kind of guys. And I was always into the more uh, warm side of things, like Mount Sims and a few others. And kind of from that period, yeah, my productions also started to get to a certain level that they started to be releasable uh, good enough. And yeah, so then I made Exceder. It was really something in between. It was the first, the third record I I ever released. Yeah, it was actually a B side. Um, the A side was a, sort of Italo disco record called uh, Follow Me. Yeah, Follow Me. And I I just felt "Exterior" was a little bit too easy or predictable. So I thought, okay, it's fine for a B-side, but I'm not going to put it out as a single. Uh, And then all of a sudden, there was this whole buzz about the B-side and we're getting all these label requests and licenses and stuff. Well, I just kind of made it on my kitchen table. Um, I was in between moving from one studio to the other. So I had like this super simple setup at home for just a few weeks or months uh, with just a Mac and a synth on a. On the kitchen table with like the cooking stuff, pushed aside a little bit and yeah, made it there.
0: That's incredible. So what sort of software were you using at the time? Did you
1: have a lot of things inside the box? Yeah, I, th- I think it was all made inside of the box, uh, or at least in tr- instrumental version. Uh, it was made in Logic, Okay, Logic 5 or 6 or something, like a really old version of it. Yeah, and I remember I made the the main lead sound with a synth called Mini Monster.
0: How did that feel at the time? Did you feel restricted that you were just working off the Mac at the time with Logic? Or was that something that you were happy just to try out ideas and and see what would come? Yeah, I was really
1: just sort of figuring it all out still, you know. I was was DJing for a while, you know, already maybe 10 years. And also internationally, I did quite some tours. I used to be a uh, yeah the, the back story is that I used to be a violin player. That's
0: what I've read that, that you were you are a
1: violinist. And
0: and was there a connection with Tiesto at all? Is that right?
1: Yeah. So I started to um, well, since I was very young, uh, play violin. And from I don't know somewhere in the nineties, I started to bring my uh, like electric violin to stage. And then Tiesto saw that. So I, and he asked me to to accompany him on this world tour. So I was already kind of used to playing uh, bigger venues and and tour uh, worldwide. But my productions were still. Kind of lacking behind, you know. I started maybe around the millennium or something with some equipment and things, but it just, you know, didn't sound great and stuff. So my my studio setup was also very uh, very simple compared to now. But you know, you don't need much to make a good record. I think you know, with a with a laptop you can make a hit record these days. It's not about the. it's about the cook and not the kitchen.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, what label did they come out on at the time? Was, was it just a small independent or? Yeah, it was a super small
1: Dutch label. Um, yeah, as I said, we, we were doing these uh, parties called Electronation. Um, and then we wanted to have a label that sort of uh, released some music from sort of Electronation artists. We did it together with uh, Don Diablo, who's now. Yeah, a huge. GM star Yeah. Um, so we, we ran the label together with him. He's also on the cover, I think, of the, <laughs> of the first initial Exceder. You still see the face of Don Diablo on it, actually. Um, so, yeah, and, and if this was the first or second release on the label. It was called Middle of the Road Records. And then, um, yeah, I was really surprised to all of a sudden get all this feedback from international labels. And- yeah, I bet. I bet that was amazing.
0: What, I mean, what sort of time frame was it between you guys putting it out and then the license requests
1: kind of coming in it went really fast it went really fast and it was straight away a bit of a sort of bidding war and we, we decided to go for um, this German label called Great Stuff
0: yes I know Great Stuff well yeah
1: yeah back in the days they were you know what is they still they were like super influential yeah and, uh, felt right and we released it there and then straight away uh, became a club hit that summer so that was the summer of 2006 so it became a I think it became a beatboard number one. And, you know, it's, it started to be played a lot in the pizza and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was just um, mind-blowing how fast it all went. And I, you know, I didn't have a manager and I didn't have agents worldwide and I didn't have a publisher and all that. So straight away when you pushed into a sort of bigger type of scene and I had to kind of get myself organized very quickly and made all sorts of mistakes, obviously, and as it goes. But, you know, that's how it goes.
0: At what point did you kind of go wow, this record, you know, it's not just a big record, it's potentially like one of the records of the summer or, you know, there was a potential for this record to be a hit. And I'm sort of almost still staying on the instrumental version because, of course, it ended up becoming perfect Exceder. But for me, it seemed to have such an amount of legs, even as an instrumental, before it kind of crossed over and became a, a chart hit, certainly here in the UK. And I know it did in many other countries um was there a point as an instrumental where you went okay this is this is crazy
1: yeah well straight away was pretty crazy in terms of like all this interest that came for it um and then i do remember like there was i was playing festivals that summer and you kind of heard it on like four different stages or something you know (laughs) because it was a bit of a in-between sounds so house guys could play it and some even some sort of techno-y people would still play it and um yeah, it was, it was just not like a straight-up techno record or straight-up, you know. It was a bit of a different record, I suppose. And um, that made it very sort of, um, yeah, playable for a lot of different artists. And I think I did a show in, in London and I was in the taxi from the airport and, and I heard it on the radio, you know. And then that sort of stuff was, was very strange for me yeah yeah I bet that was an amazing feeling though right yeah and I mean, I had no idea how to do mixdowns or anything if you if you actually listen to the record, it sounds pretty crap you know <laughs> see that was one of
0: the that was one of the questions I always like to ask producers is you know reflecting on the record now or sort of a few years later when you came back to it, sort of how you feel about the production and and uh, when you hear it you know, do you kind of go, oh, I would have done that better or you kind of go, do you know what? I'm really, really happy. It was what it was at the time, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it did sort of million times more than I expected. So I'm forever grateful to that record, you know, because it kind of brought me an audience and all that. So I would never talk it down by saying it sounds like crap. But it does, I mean, if you look at it from a music producer's side of view, it's kind of, you know, it's not well mixed, you know, all the frequencies are clashing with each other and I, there was things like simple things like sidechain compression. I had no idea how that works even. Right, wow. So, so yeah, but on the other hand, you know, um, sometimes records can also sound too clean. Absolutely. Especially Dutch Dutch records or super well-produced records. And I also like, you know, mix downs that have a bit of flaws in it. You know, they have a snare drum that's way too loud or... They have something, uh, yeah, that's out of the ordinary that can also give it some character, you know?
0: I mean, just going back before we do enter the vocal version, how much time do you think you put into that record when you made it in the kitchen? Was it quite a quick process? Or did you come back to it quite a few times? Uh, you know what? I,
1: I can't really recall. I, I did notice like, I felt like, oh, this is, yeah, this is working. You know, that you had a bit of a smile on your face while making it. You know, the it has all of this tremolo effect in all these uh, sort of drum loopy sort of things where it goes like, K-k-k-k-k-k-k-k-k. I remember making that and really tweaking the automation lines and it get really loud and then go quiet again and stuff like that. I didn't kn- I did when I was doing that it was like remember like smiling a bit from yeah this is
0: this is where I have no knowledge. All I remember is obviously the instrumental and then the next thing you see is the music video and the fact that Princess Superstar's perfect. I don't know how you prefer to refer to it. I mean, I'm going to go for the easy option and say it's sort of there was a mashup of the two, but I'm very interested in how that story went from Exider being an instrumental to Perfect kind of joining it and the success of that as a as a vocal version of Exceda.
1: Yeah, so in summer 2006 it kind of did everything it could do, you know, it was a big Ibiza hit and um, it was on number one on Beatport and stuff. So obviously there were forces and people sort of uh, suggesting, hey, why don't you do a vocal version and you have a real shot at crossover, you know, Mm. to get into pop charts and stuff like that. But I was, you know, I I still am um, quite picky when it comes to that sort of thing. I'm not really a typical guy to do a lot of compromises and just go for the simple suggestion. I mean, straight away, the labels came with all sorts of vocals, and you know everybody around me was sending me vocals, really.
0: Oh, wow. So there was lots of different ideas floating around of what could possibly be a vocal version.
1: Yeah, uh, Ministry of Sound also uh, wanted to release it with a vocal. So we were kind of chatting with them how to do that. And I made something that was like super indie. If I hear it back now, I can imagine why a label like (laughs) Ministry of Sound didn't want to release that. Uh, So we were kind of, you know, it was a bit of a, yeah, problematic thing. Okay, I want to make a pop record, but I want to do it well, yada, yada, yada. Well, in the meantime, there were also all these mashups and bootlegs going around on the internet, you know? People just do that at home. They mesh it up with some cappella they find on the internet. And the majority kind of, well, it doesn't really sound great, but then the one with Prince Superstar did work, and was just made by somebody else, let's say, uh, as a sort of simple mashup. Yeah. And it really did super well on the internet. So there was this, it worked, you know, there was no m- melodic clashes or harmonic clashes. And it uh, got pretty popular. So at some point, we started to see, like seriously consider, like, is this an option to do this mashup? But it did, did feel for me to well, was cheesy the word, but yeah, I didn't feel comfortable doing it as a sort of normal mason single, let's say. But then we said, well, it is a, it is a pretty clear mashup, you know, because her, her own song Perfect was, um, yeah, it was a, a decent hit on its own as well, so people knew that one, they knew my record, so they kind of got the idea that it was just like two two records meshed up. So then it was fine as long as they would market it, it like that. We did it again, so we didn't use the one that was floating in the internet, we kind of uh, went back, recorded it again, her vocals and you know, did it properly. And and then I was fine with it and it was yeah, it was a whole new experience obviously for me to have like a record that's so aimed for the pop charts, you know.
0: Yeah, and it was again a huge success globally, wasn't it? It was
1: Yeah, it was a lot of countries in the top five or top ten. Um in the UK I think it was number three. I think Mika had just had this his big hit at that moment. So we we're like, oh man.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to think what that I do remember the Mika record was floating around at a similar time, wasn't it? Do you feel like it had two lives almost it had, had a life as an instrumental and then almost had a second life as a as a vocal record because yeah. it kind of felt that way from a dj perspective here in the uk
1: yeah it did and i mean perf- like uh, personally for me exceeder the instrumental felt like 100 percent my own records and the, the vocal version felt like 50 percent my own record you know it wasn't i mean i've done a lot of pop records afterwards where also the full vocal version felt like 100% my own record but with Perfect Exeter that wasn't really the case um, but then again how how well it did yeah I'm, I'm super grateful because straight away it got me an audience to show all my other music sure. and you know I could just tour forever since then and yeah so, so that was it was all great uh, i just did have to kind of explain uh, the music industry or fans or you know what i'm about because they're also yeah you know the, the other stuff that i was releasing was much deeper and uh, a lot of it was instrumental and so there was some misunderstanding what i was about at that point you know because people only knew the, the music and the music video with uh <laughs> you know yeah uh, uh, hot girls and all that so yeah, so I had to kind of adjust a little bit, like, okay, but this is actually what I'm doing. So we straight away, I was very careful what I released afterwards and uh, did an essential mix and all that to just give people an idea of what, what Mason's about. And do you still play it out, given the chance? Yeah, once in a while, once in a while, the instrumental. I mean, the, f- the first few years, between 2006 and 2010, 11, um, I, I did crazy amounts of touring and then I always played it. But at some point, I kind of... Didn't really feel like playing it anymore. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, because I just heard it a bit too much. But then a few years later, there came some new remixes. So that gave me some sort of enthusiasm to play it again. And right now, I don't think people uh, expect it anymore because I've released so much other stuff already and people know me from other music and stuff. So I don't need to play it anymore. And then it, it's kind of a nice surprise to play it. And, and even, especially when it's on the most, on the least uh, predictable location, you know, on a more like underground party or something where people wouldn't expect me to play that one and I kind of like to kind of... (laughs) Drop it. (laughs) Yeah, it's a bit of a joke almost or as a lost record or something like that.
0: That's awesome. That's absolutely awesome. Also, what one piece of advice would you give new producers?
1: Well, mainly I I think forget about what's trendy and never kind of follow anything. I mean, it's good to know what other, other artists are doing so you know which cliches to avoid, what stuff not to do. But never try to sound like somebody else, or or try to copy them. Um, and I think a lot of people do this because they think it's the sort of the short road to success. To just okay, this is a sound that works, so I'm gonna also make these kind of records. But there are only just maybe one or two guys from a certain sound that sort of uh, paved the way and are were the first ones to do it, and they're getting the credits for that. And nobody's interested in people that sound like other guys. You know, find your own sound, even if it's super untrendy and nobody cares about it. But it's important that people found know what you're about and that you have your own identity and it also sticks over the years and you then you have a bit more longevity as a, as an artist.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, what is happening in the world of Mason right now? I know you've just released... Uh, is it out now, your new album? Is that right, third album?
1: Almost, Now, um, the first single is out. The single's called Loosen Up. It's on Tool Room, but the full album is also coming to Tool Room Records. That's coming on September 4th. There you go. it's called Frisky
0: Biscuits. Frisky Biscuits, that's right. Uh, So, 4th of September. uh, Definitely check out Mason's new album. How many tracks have you got on that album? Uh, 13. Oh, wow. Proper full album business there.
1: Yeah, it was really it was really a good sort of moment. I was already doing stuff with Tool Room. We we're planning to do a few singles, and then um, we were chatting like, "Why not do a full album?" And I had so much material here. Oh, really?
0: Is that how? It, oh, okay. So that's that's sort of how it came about then that that you just had so much available that the guys were like, "Let's let's do something um, from
1: from some singles that they were into." Yeah, I mean, we had this, the like three or four singles, but then uh, I have so much other music that I I kind of create a lot and I make a lot and there's so much that I like but that I cannot re- kind of release as a single you know because we're singles right uh, but then with an album you have so much more uh, space to release kind of things slower stuff and maybe stuff that's not necessarily working on, da- on the dance floor but that's like creativity is something that I love so yeah so it's, I really enjoyed it and the full corona period for me was just sort of locking myself in and working on this album so I will forever kind of think back at corona times for This album, you know, so that's allowed you to be really productive in the
0: studio and kind of uh, concentrate without kind of being pulled away for gigs or or touring or anything like that. Yeah,
1: exactly. And it's also nice, like from something so annoying and stupid as as this uh, COVID situation, that at least something productive and positive comes out of it. Yeah, absolutely. So if people want to find you on the internet and
0: uh, connect with you, what would you prefer? What's the best way? Insta, Twitter i'm on everything on
1: everything and my uh hashtag is my uh, it's handle is slash music of mason so if you search for music of mason you you'll be able to find me
0: perfect perfect there you go guys well thank you very much mason i sincerely appreciate you joining me on this episode yeah thanks for having me and yeah hopefully catch up soon my man thank you very very much all right take care secrets of a dance hit with Ridney. Huge thanks to this week's guest and of course to you for tuning in. If you've missed any of the previous shows, they are available on Spotify or Apple or the usual providers. Just search out Ridney or Secrets of a Dance here. They should all pop up. And of course, don't forget if you're feeling generous, uh, drop a donation into the Patreon, patreon.com slash Ridney and hopefully we can get some more artists on the show. And a big up, of course, to Carl Hannigan for all his amazing efforts on the show. Thank you, sir. And we will do it again soon. Till then, see ya.